This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. This is the Prophetic Politics Podcast. I'm Nick Rodriguez. I'm Thabiti Anyabwile. And I'm Ben Brophy. So in this episode, we are going to talk about justice, justice with a capital J. Um, uh, we've talked about specific kinds of justice in the past, and we've certainly referenced it, but we, we, we thought today what we could do is talk about specifically how the church views justice as part of our contemporary politics. And let me say a few things as to why we think this is an important issue in the moment. So in the current moment, middle of 2020, it is there was a lot of talk about justice, racial justice, economic justice, uh, depending on who you talk to, there are the climate justice, you know, uh, although, although I still have to convince Ben and Thabiti about that one in a future episode. Um, <laughs> but in Christian circles, I think it's fair to say there's a reactionary strain that basically wants nothing to do with how the world is talking about justice today. So um, this strain might use terms like social justice or critical race theory, almost as pejoratives. Like, I can't believe you believe in that. And essentially the claim they'll make, right, is that these things are essentially unchristian. Um, and I feel like I see the impact of this in today's headlines. If we, if we try to say, hey, there's this justice issue around the murder of George Floyd or around what's happening, you know, um, you know, in, 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 in any context, right? Um, there's sort of a dismissal. Ah, that's just that satanic, unchristian call for social justice, as it were. Uh, there's an unwillingness, I think, from this strain to subscribe to anything but a, like, colorblind accounting of how we think about racial justice. Um, and really just an unwillingness to touch some of the issues that, you know, let's just say it, are traditionally favored by the left. Um, it's much safer, I think, for us as Christians, it seems to talk about justice in terms of issues embraced by the right. So it's safe to talk about abortion justice, but it's not clear to me that there are, you know, or, or of just like criminal justice, crime and punishment type of justice, as it were. Um, but it's a very narrow view. Um, so anyway, as we've discussed on the podcast many times, we think the discourse within our circles on justice can really be wanting. Um, but we also think that that doesn't mean that you just go sort of go embrace wholesale um, secular conceptions of justice either. So what do we do? That's really the question I want to ask uh, on this podcast. So um, Thabiti, um, I uh, had the privilege, of, we both actually had a, as a privilege as members of your church had the, were able to listen to a sermon series you did a few years back on sort of justice and biblical thinking on justice. And without recapping the whole sermon series, although we should link to it uh, so people can go explore it on their own. What, what were some of the key things you learned from preaching that sermon series that might help us here? Oh gosh, I, I was expecting a different question, but that's, that's a really good question. I think I learned a lot of things. Um, let me tell you what, one thing that's ringing in my ears most loudly, um, yeah, for several months now, is that when you have these conversations in your local church, there are at least, at least two things to be critically aware of in, in order to have the conversations well. You, you gotta be clear about who you're centering in the conversation. And you gotta be clear that most people come to the conversation with hearing impediments. Let me start with that second thing. That there are a lot of people when they simply hear the term justice have an allergic reaction. Uh, you, you're describing it quite well, Nick, a suspicious reaction. Uh, so that you could actually be literally reading the words of the Bible and they are hearing their partisan or political or philosophical categories. Um, so, so that the listener is engaged in a kind of eisegetical listening, kind of reading into the Bible their own meanings rather than listening for the meaning of the text. And as, a, as an expositor, that's a particularly um, important problem to address uh, on this subject or any subject where that dynamic is happening. Um, so one thing is that people are coming to this conversation really well discipled in whatever philosophical background they're coming from, um, whether that's 
formal philosophical or whether that's street level philosophical, people are coming having already taught, been taught and, and um, learned a lot of things, uh, some good, some not so good. Mm-hmm. Here's the other thing, it's more subtle. Um, and, and if I were preaching that sermon series, again, I'd, I'd preach it a little bit differently. Um, and, and that is who you center really matters for how you, how, how you think about this subject. So uh, the, the pressure that's brought to bear from the forces that you're talking about, Nick, in, in many respects are attempting to center a kind of um, conservative, middle-class, um, more or less enfranchised and empowered, um, oftentimes white cultural perspective. Um, and so, you know, you could be preaching on justice, and I think this is the mistake I made in that series, in that first sermon or two. You could be. Oh, pre- okay. So, so don't listen to the series, guys. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, you can listen to the series, and it, it may it will be an illustration of what I'm saying. At least for yeah. some people. At least for some people. And not not everybody responded this way, but I've been trying yeah. to learn from folks who who um, have given thoughtful pushback. Um, the very first sermon in that series was simply a, an attempt to get my arms around the entire congregation. We're, we're a somewhat diverse congregation. People have differing perspectives. I think that's an appropriate thing for pastors to do. We're always trying to corral the whole. Um, and so that first sermon talked about kind of five dangers and five delights of, of, of justice. And I was trying to sort of say, here are the landmines with regard to um, the dangers and, and here are the, the, the opportunities, here, here are the blessings for, for being people of justice. Um, and for some people who were pastorally needing uh, affirmation, who were needing to be seen and recognized and encouraged uh, as people who uh, feel themselves have, have suffered on the, on, the, on the sharp end of the justice stick or injustice stick, um, that felt to them like a kind of, of coddling uh, and a kind of centering of the sensibilities of people who who actually don't get this issue and are are um, stubborn or recalcitrant and so wow. on. Yeah. Now, I think if, if those folks are being gracious to me, I think they could pinch in some 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 grace of understanding about yeah, as a pastor, you've got to shepherd the whole church and so on. But I think in the main, there's something to that critique, and so I I think I watch a lot of pastors. Um, engage this issue with their people, and and the folks that they're having the conversation with, frankly, are the kinds of um, self-described evangelicals, um, discernment types that you have in mind, Nick, who mm-hmm. are are sort of poisoning the conversation with a lot of ad hominem attacks, with a lot of use of labeling and canceling, um, with a lot of suspicion and conspiracy theory. Um, and so there are many good pastors who are, who are even as they're trying to address this subject, um, that's the voice that's in the back of their head. That's what they're contending with. And that's what they're trying to guard against, the, the kind of attack, the fuselage, the barrage of, um, yeah, accusation and slander that, that comes from that quarter. Um, and so what that means is the wrong people get centered in the conversation. So rather than the people who are actually suffering injustice, um, being spoken to, address, uh, kind of having the, um, if you will, the, the, the middle portion of the sermon, so to speak, the center of the sermon in terms of pastoral concern, um, other folks are, are in that place, occupying that place. And so mm. one of the things I've had to learn is to just sort of say, yo, I, I've got to get those voices out of my head. The conversation I'm trying to have is actually with my congregation. I know that many folks in my congregation are influenced by these voices or they have their own hearing impairments. So I've got to speak into that. But I've, I've just, I feel like I've learned that I've just got to be um, univocal in, in, in perspective and in address, particularly when it comes to um, the concerns that are centered and how that affects pastorally um, the people who are, who are in the congregation. Here's the other thing I've learned, third thing. Um, is you can't get quiet enough to satisfy the people you're describing, Nick. Mm. That, that there is a argumentativeness, a divisiveness, there is a dog with his teeth in his bone finding um, 
CRT or whatever under every rock kind of aspect of some of those folks that even if you say, hey, I'm not going to address this topic, I'm off social media, I'm not going to a rally, those folks um, will find a way uh, to make this a wedge issue uh, in, in congregations and, and in fellowship, to make this a test of fellowship even uh, among a lot of folks. And, and so you can't be quiet enough to avoid the issue. And I think that's what many pastors have been disciples to think. Let's not talk about politics. Let's not touch those things for the sake of unity. Okay. What really happens is the sources of disunity get, get a stronger foothold in the congregation. So it's going to be better to declare where you are, what you think the Bible teaches, and to be univocal about that. Um, and, and to, in that way, risk some people deciding to go elsewhere or what have you, than to try and be sort of soften your perspective and, and wind up just sort of prolonging the agony of this divisiveness. Um, and um, yeah. There's a, something you and I have talked about the media, which is I think the implicit advice to pastors is, like, as you think about what you say, be less fearful of the sort of, you know, person that you're describing there who is likely to be well-resourced, middle-class, probably white, probably wealthy, and a single person who can make a lot of noise and favor uh, in some way the sort of more powerless, say like a young woman of color in your congregation who probably won't, who'll probably just sit there and take it. The fact that you're not talking about these things mm -hmm. and will like try to, in the spirit of making peace, not be it nearly as critical of, uh, of you for staying silent at this, as this other person will be of you for speaking. And yet that gets the equation all wrong, I think. Well, I, think, I do think that gets the equation all wrong. But in, in fairness, Nick, I do think they're the young woman you just described, maybe African-American or what have you, who feels like they've been suffering in silence. I do think we're also in an era where that folk, uh, that, that group of folk are less quiet. They are leaving churches. Um, they, there is a, there's a never satisfied crowd, um, you know, just across the spectrum. Um, and so I, I have great empathy for guys who feel like they're taking it on every side. <laughs> sure. Um, and, but, but I think the calculus you just articulated, Nick, that's my calculus. And I think it's right mm. that, that if we are to exercise an option, we're to exercise an, a preferential option for those who are suffering. Mm. Um, and, and I do think that. It seems to me, and I don't want this to be a, a misjudgment, but it seems to me that there are more pastors whose default concern is for the wealthy and the so-called powerful to leave their church more than their default concern is for the vulnerable and the weak and, and the, the, the sort of abused to leave the church. Uh, and I think that calculus is wrong. I think that calculus keeps the church from being prophetic. Um, and I, I think that calculus winds up perpetuating um, and extending much of the kinds of injustices that, um, in other terms, we lament. Hmm. Let's take a quick break. And then, Ben, want to hear where you're coming from on this before we kind of dive into some additional questions. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us. Written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, breathe, receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing, the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, breathe, receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. So um, we, um, one reference point that I found helpful, which we can put in the show notes is a, a recent article by Tim Keller um, that kind of talks about like what is biblical justice and how does it interact with, how, it's a critique of secular justice, but before you get excited, it's actually, I think a pretty nuanced view of like, okay, well, how should we think about how, you know, secular views of justice? I think what it highlighted for me is we have a biblical view of why we care about justice. And then there are other worldviews that also sort of arrive at some conception of justice too. Why, you know, we'll start with you, Ben. Why, do we, why is it difficult 
for a biblical view of justice sometimes to interact with secular views of justice? Um, well, I think, I think Keller says this well um, in the sense that secular views of justice are in ultimately incomplete um, and he's making a case that biblical justice is much more fulsome and comprehensive. Um, so I think that's, that's tough for secular theorists to understand. I think the, I think his ding on a couple of these things is that they're oversimplified either. Um, and I'm painting with a broad brush, but either the individual is hyper-focused on or human beings at a group or structural level are hyper-focused on in the, in the justice theories. And um, what Keller is presenting is that the Bible doesn't really let you do either of those. You are both an individual responsible for your sins and you are situated within the context of a family, a community, church, uh, city, nation, so forth and so on. And so you have, you are both influenced by and have some level of responsibility and in, in kind of, all of those spheres. Um, so I think, I think that's kind of the point he was making. Um, that was, that was my, I've only read it twice, but that was my takeaway. I've only read it twice. I like that. <laughs> well, well, and just to, just to fill the detail in the one part of his article I thought was helpful was just, he sort of said, well, here are kind of, here are four at, at the risk of oversimplifying kind of four secular views of justice arrayed in line from sort of most individual oriented to most group oriented. So the most individual oriented one is to be a libertarian, which we sometimes accuse Ben of being, even though he's not. <laughs> um, but justice in that case is about freedom, right? Uh, next down the line is being a liberal, um, small L liberal, um, kind of the enlightenment tradition in a lot of this case. And justice in this case is about fairness, it protecting individual rights, as it were. Um, Moving down the line, you become a utilitarian, the greatest good for the greatest number, the works of John Stuart Mill. Justice is about happiness, like just helping as many people be as happy as they can be. Um, and then finally, you get to sort of postmodern, sometimes lumped in with Marxist or you know, critical race theory is related to this. And the idea there is justice is about power and its redistribution. And it, that one's the most group oriented uh, in the sense of it really does center the idea of us as parts of groups or communities. Um, and so what, what I think Keller argues is a biblical conception of justice is more nuanced. It actually has something to draw. It, it actually has something in common with, uh, maybe, maybe I'm going too far to say, with, with most or all of those in some pieces, but it is the most complete view, um, as it were. Um, so if I, if I were to summarize why I think it's difficult for them to interact, it's because, well, I am a Christian, I'm pursuing justice, you're not a Christian, you're trying to pursue justice, and we don't have the same sort of worldview guiding us. And so that, that's where the friction comes from. I don't think it's dispositive, we can never work together friction, but it's friction nonetheless. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's interesting. I, I think Tim actually puts his finger on a, on a problem a little bit further upstream um, than the one you're citing, Nick, uh, right in the opening couple of paragraphs. And, and that very simply is very few Christians have ever been discipled in uh, what the Bible teaches about justice. Yeah. Right. So people are not only having that kind of fractious conversation and suspicious conversation you're talking about, Nick, they're doing it without themselves having um, a sort of cachet of biblical teaching that they're drawing from uh, or Christian reflection that they're drawing from. Um, and so that, that in, in my view, that's like the first order problem is that most Christians have never had any systematic teaching uh, in this area. Um, and and when that happens, what we're left vulnerable to are the presentations and representations of others, which we may or may not be skilled enough, discerning enough to sort of suss out for accuracy um, and things of that sort. And that, and that, again, just sort of coming to what you're mentioning there, Nick, that's part of the problem too. It's that the conversations break down because they're so overweighted with suspicion but then that suspicion isn't actually married to careful understanding of different schools of thought as, as, as is presented in Tim's um, article, for example, we, we need much more of that. That's yeah. a really good point. So it would be one thing to be like, Hey, I've got a conception of biblical justice and oh, yeah, like how does it interact with these, which is essentially what Tim is trying to do. Right. Versus justice. What justice, who cares about that? All these people talking about justice are just secular people who, don't have anything to say that I find important or helpful, essentially. Right. right. Yeah. So, so, I'm sorry, Ben, just real quick, if I could put it sort of sharply, 
put a sharper point in the pencil there. If, if you could not write some version of Tim's paper, then you are experiencing part of the problem that needs to be corrected, right? If you could not sit down with your Bible and, and write a three or four page paper, make it double space, 12 point font, one inch margins. If you can't sketch that, then you don't yet have the sort of thorough enough, deep enough biblical understanding to actually wade into the conversation in a way that's going to be most effective. Um, that, yeah, that strikes a chord with me. I remember a few weeks ago, I was asked, I asked a question, a group of friends at church and just kind of said, okay, like what is biblical justice? And then like, these are, these are all smart. These are all smart people. And uh, we had a hard time defining it um or or capturing like the full sense of it and so that kind of led me down a rabbit hole of being like well i probably need to take a look at my bible and and figure it out and like i don't i'm not saying that i <laughs> have mastered it in a couple of weeks by no means but i think what keller does is you're right about the point the problem he points out and in the absence of there being good teaching or good understanding of biblical justice i think what you're seeing from people who greatly desire justice is kind of a well there's no there's nothing here talking about this so let me go to the world and see what they're saying and maybe maybe that will help um and you know there's certainly helpful justice theories in the world that can expose things reveal things but ultimately it's god's word that is defining justice as it should be defined and so i think i think you're right t that we need to think about these things more seriously and as i as i started to study this stuff it's like okay, justice is divinely righteous action, whether taken by humanity or God that promotes equality among humanity. And it's like, oh, okay. And then also it's used to uplift the righteous and oppressed and debasing the unrighteous and oppressors. And so there's a sense in which justice is giving everyone his or her due. Um, but it's also a quality that we're supposed to have as Christians, being free from favoritism, self-interest, bias, or deception. Um, you know, we want to have right judgment. We want to judge with good judgment, right judgment. So we want to determine people's rights well and the assignment of rewards and punishments. Um, and so it's both like seeing things and being able to judge rightly and assigning reward and punishment rightly. And it's also being free from bias or self-interest. And I think Keller mentions this as well. I don't want to plagiarize his entire essay. But the reason the he the, he he contends that the reason the bible pushes on calling out how the oppressed and the marginalized and the poor and the widows and the orphans need to be paid special attention to is because if they are not they will be oppressed whereas we see far fewer if any uh, specific you know reminders of well the rich need to have their rights protected because their wealth kind of ensures that their rights are at least to some degree going to be protected. And so I, I think he's getting at something there, which relates to what T was saying about centering the conversation around those, those that who are, who are oppressed, because that's what, the, that's what the Bible does. It's not that, you know, the oppressed are somehow worth more than the rich. It's not what we're saying at all but rather the sinfulness of man is going to incline the powerful to oppress the weak. And so we, we as Christians, as people who believe in the Bible, should pay special attention to that. Amen. Can, can I tack on? I, yeah. I, I feel like I want to give you 100 amens um, on that. It's really helpful. One thing I want to tack on to that uh, by way of extending your thinking, you were protecting, I think, uh, people who maybe don't have a, a well-honed, biblical theology of justice from sort of secular encroachments, um, maybe on the left, maybe on the right, so on and so forth. Yeah. I, I want to add a word of, of caution to protect them from encroachments from Christian quarters. And, and, and one of the ways I think this happens is the person who doesn't have, haven't thought this through themselves, haven't had systematic teaching on it, particularly in the heat of an online debate or a conversation with a friend where they feel like they have to respond really quickly rather than take their time and, and think it through. Yeah. Often what's done is they, they, they sort of use as proxy Christian teachers 
who have a kind of reputation for being biblical, right? And you go, what's wrong with that? Well, actually, there are a whole lot of pastors, too, who have not thought this through well. Um, and, and a lot of, I would argue, the discord inside the church is being caused by Christian pastors who have a reputation for being Bible guys and being conservative, um, but who I think are over and over again to, proving themselves to be divisive and to be unhelpful um, and to be just flat out wrong uh, about the issues and the concepts, right? Um, so I just want the listener to be aware that they need to be Bereans, that they need to test everything by the scripture uh, and not just sort of go, oh, this teacher said, this teacher said, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollo, so on and so forth, and then sort of run off with you know, conclusions and positions that they actually not ever really thought through, but yeah. have been trusting because of um, the, the perceived credibility of, of another leader. And so I don't, I don't want nobody to do that with me. I don't want, I don't want people to do that with anyone. Be those noble Bereans uh, and go back to the scriptures, go back to the font uh, and, and study these things um, to be sure that they're biblical. Yeah. I mean, that was my, that was my experience. I think, I think, it intimidates a lot of a lot of people in that it does take a little bit of work like you, yep. you need to do a little bit of work to survey the entire Bible. i mean justice is referred to a gazillion times <laughs> that's right that's and, right and so pulling out every text and then trying to understand how it is in context um is is tough that's a big that might be intimidating i i think what helped me i was in jeremiah and so i said okay jeremiah talks about justice a couple of times let me try and understand what Jeremiah is saying about justice uh, in this really long book. Um, so if you want <laughs> if you want a smaller a smaller crack, just try to take one book and you know just when you come across the word justice, just write it down and try to understand what that means in, in its context and see where you land. Well, that, that's a smaller bite to take. So, so can I give them an even smaller bite? It's yeah. Just, since we're right now disdaining scripture, uh, <laughs> I'll give a, an even smaller bite. Do it with Proverbs. Yeah. Take the book of Proverbs, read a chapter a day, um, note and reflect on um, justice, equity, righteousness in Proverbs. It'll, it'll give you a, a, a pretty adequate sense of biblical teaching with regard to justice. So can I ask you guys, because I just realized we, we, we skipped over, we didn't quite ever do it, but what is, what, what is sort of our best working definition of biblical justice? And I'll, I'll come back to what Tim says, but I'd be curious as to what the two of you have to say. Well, ben gave us his, or uh, Ben. Yeah, your name is Ben. Ben gave us his. Uh, you wanna, had a senior moment there, for real. You want to give us yours again, brother, and I'll give you my, my dime store definition as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, st I, I stole it from a Bible dictionary, but I think it's helpful. It's divinely righteous action, whether taken by humanity or God, that promotes equality among humanity. It's used in relation to uplift the righteous and oppressed and debasing the unrighteous and oppressors. Um, so it's justice is rooted in God and who he is, right? And then when we're, when we're doing it, we both want to properly reward the good punish the punish the evil um and then you go on to to say you know it, ha it must be free of bias or partiality uh in any direction yeah uh, dime store definition that's a great that's a great uh, definition ben my dime store definition is very simply justice is doing the right thing for the right people um at the right time in the right way to the right extent right and what that's getting at are sort of procedural notions of justice, right time, right way, right extent. Uh, it's getting at um, retributive notions of justice. Uh, so doing the right thing could either be reward or punishment, right? Um, but sort of just deserts there. Um, and, and it's sort of getting at a, a sort of a wholer view of justice insofar as it includes, um, yeah, things like reparation, re restoration, reconciliation, um, those sort of elements as well. Um, and so I think we want a, a, a sort of whole orb view of justice that takes into view, not just the outcome, but also the process. Yeah. Yeah. And I think this is not a definition, but I, I think one thing that helps um, 
center me on this is that the greatest injustice committed is our rebellion against God, right? So like, that's where it starts. Like we are all unjust beyond our wildest imagination. I think in all of these conversations, it's really, it's really tempting to think horizontally because that's, that's what we see. Um, a wise man uh, who may be on this podcast once told me it's far easier to have sympathy and relate to sinners and their sin than it is to relate to God and his holiness. And I think I need to remind myself that I am unjust in every time I rebel against God. And that's a greater offense um, than I, than I can possibly imagine. And of course that extends into sin against humanity as well, but our rebellion, our injustice starts with um, yeah, our, our fighting against the Lord. Nick, Nick, how would you define it brother? Oh gosh, I don't think I have much to add, uh, you know, except to say that I think that there's this idea of the, it being, what I find most powerful about biblical justice is it's being rooted in an absolute truth around the nature of God, who like defines a standard of what right is, Mm -hmm. and being rooted in the nature of uh, humanity, both in terms of the fact that each of us is made in God's image, and therefore there's a there's a basis for equal dignity that is rock solid, right? That has to be, you have to go through lots of contortions without that in order to get there from a secular perspective. Um, and, um, and, 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 and secondly, that because of the anthropology of man and the fact that we are, we are sinners, that there's sort of a need for correction and the, the corrective function of justice, right? So for me, what I find most powerful about it is that, and I'll, I'll actually rattle off, like Tim Keller has a couple of headlines about what he thinks that means that I think are helpful as we go into the last part of our discussion, then we'll take a break. So he says, number one, community. Others have a claim on my wealth or the things I have, so I must give voluntarily. Number two, equity. Everyone must be treated equally and with dignity. Number three, Corporate responsibility. I'm sometimes responsible for and involved in other people's sins. So it's not just about individuals. Uh, uh, Fourth, individual responsibility. I am finally responsible for all my own sins, not necessarily for all my outcomes, but definitely for all my sins. And finally, um, advocacy. We must have a special concern for the poor and the marginalized. And if you trace those basic things about the nature of God, the nature of man, and what the Bible commands is about justice, you get to some version of those five things. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that's, and, and it's a very complete holistic view of what justice is. So let's take one more break. And when we come back, I want to talk about sort of what we as Christians should do, um, with this biblical conception of justice. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and Redemption, written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. And we were talking about, we were sort of fleshing out the biblical definition of justice. And we had talked earlier about some popular secular notions. We talked about libertarians, liberals, utilitarians, and sort of postmodernists, which are related to those who are sort of in critical race theory. When is it a good idea to draw a distinction between biblical justice and these other forms? Um, Why is that sometimes important? Well, I think, I think some of this is contextual, right? Like, so, you know, depending on what, where you're sitting or standing, I mean, if you're a pastor and what you see is a real emphasis on libertarian perspective, then, you know, you're probably going to have to teach winsomely uh, the other side of that, the balance, the more communal aspect. Um, on the other side of the fence, if you're contextually somewhere where it's everything is about the community and you're, you're not, you're no longer, you lose agency or responsibility for your own actions. And you probably need to gently course correct towards the other side. Um, Since, since the Bible 
has a very fun way of, of saying you, you have both. Um, so I think, I think that's probably what I would think of first is, is what, what is the people I'm situated with, whether as a member or a pastor or whatever, like what are they, where are the blind spots, where are the temptations to overemphasize one side of the boat versus the other? I think that's really wise advice. Um, we, we, we need to stop having these conversations in our local church as if we're talking to the internet. Um, and, uh, and we need to stop sort of, uh, we need to and preach need against to the, most conversations as if we're talking to the internet. <laughs> uh, but we do need to preach against the particular sins of our own people. And we need to address the, the spiritual and teaching needs of our actual congregation if we're pastors, right? And so um, I assume that's going to be looking different across congregations because the, the particular bent that my church family has is going to be different from uh, the bent of a church family just across the county line. Um, and so I, there's a, there's a, a sort of important local concern that needs to be expressed in terms of shaping our people with the scripture and not taking for granted that the secular sources that they're imbibing are, are shaping them biblically just because in some broad category like conservative or progressive, that happens to be where we are. That, that, that's not gonna be a helpful way uh, to see people formed into the likeness of Christ. Now, the other thing I think is really important is we gotta teach our people um, a pretty robust understanding of common grace. Mm. So mm. if you frame this conversation as we're either biblical justice or we're some other adjective justice, and the, between the two shall never meet, um, I think you are functionally denying the reality of God's common grace to all his creatures. Yep. Yep. So there is truth and value um, in quote-unquote secular approaches to justice. Yeah. They're not biblical. They don't overlap, overlap the Bible perfectly. And so that's why we want to be Bereans. But what I think common grace means is we don't have to make our first overture one of antagonism, uh, one of attack, one of rejection. Uh, that's a fundamentalist approach to these kinds of things. And one of the things fundamentalism does not produce is nuance. <laughs> and, yet we, and yet we need nuance in these discussions, right? Um, and um, that, that's just this recognition of common grace is just a way of affirming God's goodness to his creation. It's a way of affirming that, that the people we're engaged with are made in the image of God. And so therefore they get some things right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a better starting point for people of peace than is sort of just coming out the gates, rejecting everything because there's an adjective attached to it. Yeah. Um, say again. Your fundamentalist uh, piece makes me think it's it's just like saying like how dare you listen to secular music or appreciate secular it's art. Exactly what it is. It's the same thing. It's exactly what it is, and um, and it's and it's shrouded in all of this sort of self promotion, heroic. I'm defending the faith and guarding the truth against all these sneaky folks importing things into the church. It's just fundamentalism. It's 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 all it is. Um, and it's and it's not helpful to Christ's church. It's divisive uh, to the Lord's church. So I so I think we want to have a healthy dose of common grace um, as we approach this. Is a better way of engaging um, these things. Now, none of that's meant to say we're not to be discerning. We we made that point several times already. We are to be discerning. Uh, the the other thing I I would want to say, Nick, is and this is. Um, connect a little bit to Ben's comment about the contextual nature of some of these things is that, yeah, realize there's context <laughs> when you, when you enter these conversations and not everyone who's using, you know, particular language means the same thing yeah. or got there by the same route or would inevitably wind up with the same conclusion. So let me, let me just give you, you know, uh, let's take the, the critical race theory thing just for a second. Mm. How African-Americans talk about that and how we got there, if, if, we got, if we're there, I mean, most of us don't, don't even know the term or are trading in that term at all, right. Right? right? But how folks get there is really different than the context that's assumed 
by many of my well-meaning white evangelical brothers and sisters who are critical of critical race theory. They assume it just sort of dropped out of the ether as an anti-biblical, anti-Christian worldview. You know, a whole other religion they sometimes characterize it as. And um, they didn't want to sort of dissect it in the typical categories of, of Christian systematic theology. So they're doing something with critical race theory that critical race theory has never itself sought out to do. And they're doing it absent the historical context. Critical race theory um, sort of develops Derrick Bell and others as a response to retrenchment against civil right protections of African-Americans. It's, it's a legal critique of what happened in the 80s and the 70s and the early 90s in the stripping away or the rolling back of civil rights. And, and so it, it's an argument for a critical posture in the context of um, rolling back civil protections. Well, now that's a very different thing than saying that, oh, critical race theory is about another way of being saved and everybody's an oppressor and oppressed and those caricatures that are bantied about um, so much. So if you're going to enter these conversations, do the biblical homework, but also do the historical contextual homework mm-hmm. so that as you're critiquing things, you're actually critiquing the thing itself and not some straw man, not some caricature of it. Um, and, and this particular example is, is, I think, particularly distressful for a lot of us because it, it, it's an example of how not knowing the issues actually leaves some people repeating the mistakes of the past. Yeah. So, so, so my sort of hyper-conservative fundamentalist evangelical brothers and sisters who attack critical race theory the way they do really seem, really seem unaware how they're taking the same positions, at least rhetorically, as segregationists in the 50s and 60s. Um, The same positions, rhetorically at least, of people who have opposed um, the very things that CRT proponents are fighting for in the way of civil rights and civil enfranchisement. Um, And so I think we got to understand context. I think we have to understand how we're being heard across context. I think we got to be really careful to, to, yeah, accommodate those things in our thinking so that we speak with more precision with our critiques. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I was saying before we started recording was sometimes in these conversations, you'll, like the character I have in my head is you just wave the word CRT in front of someone as a conversation enters. And we should talk about George Floyd. Ah, that way lies CRT. This is not, that's not what this is about. That's unbiblical. And then let's just not talk about it anymore. And I think, so I, there's, I think that there's, um, I really appreciate your point about common grace debate. And I think that there's something really, really important there around how um, it's not as if we're, I mean, I hope we're not living in like a fantasy land where we think the answer to justice is for everyone to adopt a biblical worldview. And only then will we be able to hope for a just world, right? Like that's, I mean, I mean, a remnant of a remnant will be saved. That's not going to happen, right? And so absent that happening, what does it mean to work for justice? Well, part of it means making common cause with people who are pursuing the same type of justice you're pursuing, but possibly coming at it from a different place. I mean, the pro-life movement is totally fine with this. Not everybody who's pro-life is pro-life because they're Christian. And yet we're happy to make common cause with those who for for their own reasons have decided it's worth defending the lives of the unborn. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing would apply if you think about something like, you know, those who are whatever you want to call it, you know, like in the critical race theory and say, therefore, I think racial justice is a good idea. And I'd say, yeah, great. Genesis one tells me racial justice is a good idea, too. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to make common cause with you on those sorts of things. I think common grace is super duper important uh, when it comes to sort of how we even just interact in the world. And to your point, it's the fundamentalist impulse that says, nope. If you don't have a biblical worldview leading to a biblical view of justice, then I don't, I don't want anything to do with you, essentially. Um, now, if I were to go to the other side and I would say, where is it helpful to draw the distinction? I think, actually, often it'll be within the church when people have fallen too far in love with one of these particular conceptions of justice, yes. right? Yes. And like, yes, it's possible for someone to say, yep, I'm all about you know, critical race theory. And that for me is beginning to supplant my sense of biblical justice. But you want to know the more common error 
is people falling in love with libertarianism. If I, if I were to take a survey of the evangelical church and say, who, who, what conception of justice substitutes for biblical justice the most often in the modern white evangelical church, it is hands down libertarianism is the winner. It's all about freedom. It's all about don't tell me what to do. It's all about don't tell me like oh, my rights are the most important thing on earth to the exclusion of everything else, to the exclusion of community claims on me. And so I think that's the other thing is there is a role of correction there, but it's probably not the correction some of our, uh, some of our friends think it is. So. That's, that's well said. That's well said. Can, can I drop one other? We're in this part of the show where we're encouraging Christians how to respond, aren't this we? This is it. Yep. <laughs> all right. All right. Oh, I, one other thing I want to encourage. Um, if, if you're listening, you can't tell already. This is, this is just really um, near to my heart. I'm, I'm seeing uh, really good men, really good pastors um, suffer in their pastorates uh, because of people who have um, taken up something online that has nothing to do with their local church, uh, have gotten really wound up about social justice and critical race theory and all those things. Uh, and have come heresy hunting um, in their churches with with good men. And I think I just want to appeal to the listener. If you've been in your church for any length of time, such that you could say that you you know your pastor, you know your pastors care for you, um, you know their teaching, the quality of their teaching, and and the faithfulness that they exhibit to the Bible. I just want to appeal to you not to take the impressions of online people who do not know your pastor over your own experience of your pastor and your church. There's a lot of that happening. With men who've been in pulpits 20 years, faithfully preaching the gospel, faithfully preaching the Bible, line upon line, faithfully caring for their members as best as they are able, um, who all of a sudden now, because they have spoken into um, some of the issues that have racked our culture uh, over these last few years. They, they have attempted to teach their people what the Bible teaches about justice and reconciliation, now face accusation, slander, libel, um, about being sort of social justicians and social justice warriors and all these kinds of things. I, I just would hope that... Um, good Christians in their local churches with, with good pastors would actually trust their direct experience of the person's teaching and way of life over any representation that they're seeing online uh, by people who don't know their pastor and don't know your church. Um, this is a time, I think, to be more intensely local in our expression of the faith, more intensely embodied with each other than to be sort of abstract and ethereal and um, driven by social media and the like. Um, I, your churches, our churches will be happier. Um, our witnesses will be stronger. Our, our love will be more evident. Our growth in Christ will be more fruitful. Um, if we would emphasize the word local in local churches and care for each other, care for our pastors, trust one another as they're teaching the Bible. Ben, ideas from you. How do we how do we encourage each other and um, Christians and to 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 make a better, more productive discourse on this question? I mean, I don't think I have anything new than what I said before. I think what has been most helpful for me is is just taking a look at what the Word has to say about justice and using that as the lens by which I judge anything, um, secular or otherwise, on on the justice topic. I mean, I think. I'm probably, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's dangers on all sides here. Um, I think we've talked a lot about the danger on the conservative, quote unquote, conservative side. And I think that's the right emphasis given the way the numbers break down for the evangelical church. There just does seem to be more, more of, of the libertarian emphasis than the collective one. Um, but, you know, I would be remiss if, if I didn't say there's danger on the other side, too, of elevating justice concerns to primary first order gospel concerns. Um, yeah. And so, you know, yeah. So but, I guess, go ahead. But can we, can we camp out there for just a little bit? Yeah. Uh, unpack what you mean there, because I think that's an important conversation. And I think there's some 
important distinctions to make, lest, lest there be some confusion. Um, okay, so uh, mainly what I mean is the, the order matters, right? Like the gospel is a message, it's news to be received and believed that leads to repentance and faith. It's, it's not a political position. It's not um, doing acts of righteousness or justice. It's, it's none of those things. But once, once we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, by receiving the message of the gospel, we then have to live the implications of the gospel or live out what, what the scriptures would have us live out as it relates to justice, righteousness, refraining from wickedness, all, all of the rest. And so what I sense a bit is in some quarters that the, the stuff that should come second is, be, is being woven in into the first part, which is, you know, if you are, if you are a Christian, then you're going to see justice the way that I do. You're going to be as fired up as I am about whatever. It could be abortion or whatever else. And I think, yeah, that, that concerns me a little bit. So I just want to keep the order right. Um, it's a message, it's news to be received, and then it's obedience to what God would have us do. Yeah, and I, I think that's helpful. Um, I, I, I would, I want to sort of sand some of the wording just a little bit in order to bring out something I think we agree on, um, but maybe folks haven't, haven't quite heard. And, and, and that's this, that the message of life, the gospel, actually brings us into a manner of life, right? Um, and while we can talk about those as conceptually different things, we dare not develop a vision of the Christian life that breaks them apart totally, right? Yeah, go ahead. So depending on where you're standing, when you say it's a, quote, gospel issue, which is language, by the way, I don't think is very helpful. Yeah, that's um, yeah, <laughs> it's not, not very helpful. But depending on what you, what, what you mean when, when a person says it's a gospel issue, they could be precisely wrong because it's not a part of the specific propositional content of the message, right? Uh, or they could be precisely right because it is a part of the, the manner of life that the message of life brings us into. Um, and so uh, to talk about it being an implication of the gospel, again, I think it's, it, it's too weak that, that the life of Christ is integral to um, what the gospel produces, right? It's, it's like we can't imagine a sun without rays. It, without rays, it ceases in any meaningful way to be the sun, right? So it is with gospel, so it is, and, and justice, right? A justified person one who believes the gospel of Jesus Christ and is saved by faith alone must go on to become a just person, right? Uh, and, and to live a life of justice and uprightness and integrity and so on. Now that life doesn't save them. That's the fruit of the message, right? Um, but without that life, we have reason to question whether or not they've actually got the root, which is the gospel itself, right? So, I, I assume we, we would all agree on these things. Um, yeah, I would. I, I agree. I fully agree. And take your point that implication is too weak of a word. I think what I'm what I'm want to be careful to preserve is grace for the repentant sinner after conversion. Right. So there's there's a sense in let's talk about the Imago Day. There's a sense in which every time I'm stuck in traffic and I want to murder the person in front of me, and I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. Like there's, there's, there's real, there's real hate. I'm like, I, like literally I've thought, I hope you get in a car accident. And that's, that's still in me. And so there's, a, I know what we're talking about after this show. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there just still is injustice in me. And so I, I think like, and on whatever hot button issue, like there's still injustice in me as it relates to racial issues whatever logan says hi forever this is my son in case y'all hear hey, logan um, and so there is still like i'm not going to be perfectly just until i'm dead or christ returns and so i i'm not divorcing the two i must be more just than i was fully endorse that but religion without grace is a scary thing um and so that's that's why i kind of 
push on this nuance, I guess. Yeah, no, and I think that's fine. I, we, we need to understand that our pursuit of justice is in the category of sanctification, not justification. Yes. Right? Uh, and there, there are ups and downs in that, there are struggles in that, uh, and so on. So I, we, you're absolutely right. We, we want to be clear about that um, and clear about the necessity of grace for the entire Christian life. Um, what, so, so you're right to push on that side. When I'm, when I'm pushing, it was sort of like we're standing back to back, you know, okay. defending, defending the circle. And what I'm pushing against is, are the folks who seem to think or act as if justice and righteousness and equity and so on is an option. Like it's the extra Christian thing to do because, you know, I'm not saved by, it doesn't save me, I'm saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, but then they go on to sort of think when they hear the word implication, they're, they're almost hearing, they're almost hearing the word sort of optional application. It's like putting, it's like making evangelism an option right. or discipleship an option. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like good right. works are not an option either. And pursuing justice is not an option. And I mean, you know, famous verse, uh, cliche, but James two seventeen, right? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action is dead. And you've talked about the sort of pietistic critique mm-hmm. of our current circles that we sometimes run in that's right. where it's like all about your theology and your ideas and it's not about what you do and we need we that's not that's not good well, that's exactly right and and you know back to context and contextualization let's just be really frank when it comes to justice matters the evangelical church uh has just been wrong has just been complicit has and, just been uh, in large swaths of the church, um, simply not obeying Jesus uh, in the pursuit of justice. So when you start to think about where am I learning justice, who am I learning it from, um, I think that historical lineage, that historical context really needs to sort of inform, okay, well, how do I listen to this person? Where did they learn it from? Are they just simply passing down what you know, evangelical pulpitiers have passed down for 40 or 50 years? Well, what was happening 40 or 50 years ago? Uh, that, that probably wasn't a good thing. I need to then sort of inspect and think and, again, be a Berean in that I guess, way. I guess what I'd say is if, if there's a boogeyman at work here, I think it's the boogeyman of, like, the church that just has stopped bothering about the gospel and unites around social action only. And right. there, that is, right. that's a category of thing. Like, that, that's a real thing, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, and, and that's just, it's not even a church, right? It's not a, their, their theology is not Christian, right? And it's like, oh gosh. But I think what we're describing here is an emphasis on justice that emanates from and is inextricably linked to um, the gospel. Yeah. You know, it emanates yeah. from the fact that we are saved and from what Jesus commands us to do, um, as it were. So, Amen. Um, so in case anybody's wondering what we're advocating for, it's the second thing, not the first thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, I think um, my only reflection on on sort of what we can do as Christians is we we gotta we gotta have that dialogue. I think to be your homework assignment from the beginning is important. We should become better students of biblical justice, right? Um, there should be a Sunday school class at every church on justice just like there's a sunday school class on discipleship and parenting and you yeah. know and evangelism etc right like it is a miss I'm, I'm just thinking i'm thinking about sunday school classes at churches and like it's a missing piece and yet it belongs in that category and we should be we should pursue that and build our muscles in that um even as we affirm and hold true uh to the gospel truths that brought us all together in the first place amen amen well so three you want to go ahead and uh pray us out hmm. amen let's pray together brothers Lord, we thank you that you have um, been just and the justifier of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, you had left our sins beforehand uh, unpunished, but in Christ, in the fullness of time, you have satisfied your own righteous anger, your own justice uh, in his cross. And uh, in him and through him, we are, we are righteous in your sight. And we thank you, O Lord, that you have called us then to be people who model your character, your image and your likeness. And since your throne is established in justice and righteous, since you do justice every day, uh, Lord, we are mindful that we are meant to be such people as well. Um, but we need your grace. We can only do it by grace. And so we pray, teach us from your word uh, to live as you would have us live. Um, guide us by your word and your spirit. 
Give us courage that comes from faith uh, in our omnipotent God. Uh, and Help us, Lord, not to shrink back um, when justice gets difficult. Keep us, Lord, from error on all sides. Uh, and help us, Lord, um, again, by your grace, to get things more and more right, even as we struggle in sanctification. We pray this, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.